Hello and welcome to the KulturmittlerInnen, the IFA podcast on foreign cultural policy. My name is Amira El Al and I'm very happy that you're joining us again. Curating exhibitions is a unique act. The selection of artworks, the presentation in space, adding a narrative to the exhibition. But the role of the curator, as well as the design of modern exhibitions, has changed over the years. Paula Nascimento, our guest in this episode, will tell us more about this in a second. But before that, I would like to shortly introduce her. She's a freelance curator and architect from Angola. And in the past years, she has participated in many interdisciplinary and collaborative projects on topics such as post-colonialism, identity construction, or the contemporary understanding of historic topics. Her curatorial work has been presented in exhibitions in Angola, South Africa, Portugal, Italy, or Mali, amongst others. Welcome to the KulturmittlerInnen, Paula Nascimento. Hello, Amira. Paula, your curatorial work has traveled around the world. You have curated some exhibitions by yourself, but also many collaboratively with other curators. Looking now at your work and that of others, how would you define the role of curators today? And how has this definition or let's say the understanding of curating changed over the years? Uh, thank you for, for this uh, beautiful introduction and, and for the question. I think that um, obviously a major shift occurred with this transition, um, well, a long time ago, from the, the curatorial as being a museum-led profession to, to becoming, a, you know, towards the, the independence and, and um, the fact that independent curators kind of operate within a more fluid and sort of open landscape Obviously, working from a particular space, working from the continent, I'm, I'm still based in Angola, uh, mm. even though I'm working internationally and in, in different spaces. Uh, one thing that I can also add to this is the fact that, at least in my context, this is a very new profession and one which is still being kind of understood and defined I, I also believe that um, that the, the, you know this idea of the globe trotter curator that is work within different landscapes that is traveling really has sort of opened up also the you know core aspects of of the profession into a more you know working within across disciplines working across terrains working across contexts. I sort of also opened up and widened the field in a way. Mm. I would say that, for example, working as an independent curator in Angola, or I would say that even across uh, Southern Africa, brings other questions that perhaps also working as an independent curator um, in Europe or in America would, wouldn't necessarily bring, because as a, as a fellow curator says... Uh, we have to wear many hats. So we're curators, we're producers, we're mediators, we are contributing to create publics. It's it's a whole spectrum of activities that come within the profession. And in a way, we're not just curators, we're more like cultural practitioners working across uh, fields and disciplines. Mm, um, and I think that that's something that has, has been really interesting in terms of also enriching the the you know, co-profession of, of curating, um, if one may say so. 
Yeah, and so, I mean, wearing many hats, probably that's also how it has changed uh, over the years. But how do you approach the curation of an exhibition when you start with a new project? It, it really depends on the project as such. Uh, first of all, I tend to actually define my projects as projects, not as exhibitions. And often I'm in the middle of, uh, of a research. There are themes of interest to me. Uh, that are recurrent, and it might be that there is an opportunity to kind of, at a specific moment, to develop an exhibition on a specific theme that I've been researching. And in that sense, um, you know, selecting artists as well is, is also a process of looking at artists that are working, um, or whose work responds to certain questions that I've been raising or addressing critically. Or even also to tension that those those questions, but there are also moments when, at the moment, I'm invited to develop exhibitions projects, and in that sense, I'm usually working within a specific field or within a specific context and space, because I come from an architectural background, and and some of my themes of interest have to do with spatial practices and also with cities and ultimately with architecture. And I do see my practice almost as an extension of, of also of an ongoing architectural research or development of a, a specific vocabulary within uh, a special practice. I'm usually very interested in the space that I'm working with, whether it is a public space or even if it's a gallery or if it's a, a historical building. I, I seldom work in white cubes or in white spaces. And so there's always a willingness to bring, you know, whatever latent history or context would be interesting, you know, in, in the context of developing an exhibition, even if it's a different theme or something. So I kind of like the conversations that are created by putting together, obviously, works of art, but between works of art and the publics, but also between works of art and the wider social and historical context where they're being shown. So I would say that kind of those three aspects would would be interesting in, in sort of the approach of an exhibition. And obviously narrative. Uh, again, you know, usually I'm I'm working on things that I've been researching for a longer period of time, and I also see the exhibition almost as an instant within a process of research where we can sort of pause and and really have something to add or to bring forward to avoid, to, to exchange uh, and share with a wider audience. Mm -hmm. I liked what you said that... Um that you like the conversation that you you created or that you started. You have often participated in co-curated exhibitions, which is also, I guess, a conversation in, in, a, in a sorts. The concept of collaborative, collective and interdisciplinary curating is gaining wider prominence. I guess a very prominent example would be the last Documenta, the Documenta 15 last year in Kassel, which was for the very first time curated by a collective from Indonesia, Ruan Grupa. Could you elaborate on that and tell us how this approach to curating in a collaborative or a collective can transform exhibitions or art in general? Um. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if it can transform 
art in general. I think that it has something to add to the experience of both looking at art, but but also on the experience of producing art. Perhaps it's something that it's more important in the way in which, you know, in the processes of making things. In my case, it's almost an organic method because I started my career always working within collectives, either collectives that were found co-founded by me or being part of a wider collective network. And in the sense, which I also think that, you know, in my case also has to do with my background in architecture that is, you know, over the years become more and more of a collective discipline. Um, Was it something natural to you, like to work yes. in a collective? Yes, mm -hmm. Yes, uh, my, my very first curatorial project actually came out of a collective experience. And, and so it's, it, again, to, with me, it's always, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important to kind of have those dialogues with fellow professionals. Often they're collaborations that have been involved for a longer period of time. And, you know, I kind of really, think that the process of thinking together and also of dislocating a little bit this idea of the soul thinker and creator and and it's you know focusing on the exchange part of the process rather than a hierarchical relationship between somebody that has the power to decide and and an artist that kind of depends on that Mm. You said that like dialogue, conversation, process of thinking together. So these kind of like are the, the words that you use. So do you think that is where the power of collaboration and art lies? For sure. I also think that it's kind of interesting to look at a specific subject from very different points of view. And in that sense, when you work also with people from different backgrounds, again, as I said, for example, I, I, I came into curation through architecture, I never came through history of art, but I do in certain aspects collaborate with historians, for example, and how, we, how we're able to really kind of bring perspectives together. I think that it's, it really enriches the experience of, you know, putting something, a discussion or an invitation to the public to reflect on a subject in a much more complex and rich manner. And, and in that sense, I think that uh, it does have an effect on, on obviously how we think about also the art production, but how we operate within the ecology of art, uh, of the ecosystem of, of art making, that is not, again, as I said, based on this, you know, very sort of isolated power dynamics and into a more fluid and inclusive process. Mm -hmm. When you say fluid and inclusive, and, uh, you know, you said that it enriches the um, the experience that also the, the audience have. I mean, so we talk about all the the positives and the power of a collaboration in art, but where are the challenges when curating collectively? Because I imagine it's also, when you bring all these different perspectives together, it's also maybe not easy. I mean, it might also bring with it challenges that you don't have if you are a solo curator. No, for sure. Um, you know, we're all individuals and uh, and humans, and I think that negotiating, even egos, it's uh, <laughs> it's an exercise. <laughs> 
Yeah. And also, you mentioned in the question a little bit Documenta, which I didn't see, but I followed through, you know, how far can you decentralize and, you know, a project and how how difficult it would be to kind of really involve sometimes uh, a wider number of people into creating something. So there's there are elements of control, and I say control not in a negative uh, aspect, but in in terms of really you know very straightforward aspects such as logistics, such as you know being able to achieve certain things without losing thread of what one wants to say, it's it's definitely challenging. And I think that, but, but also even in long-term collaborate, collaborative uh, practices, there are, you know, tensions that need to be addressed from time to time. I like to think of those tensions as something that are part of the process and that we need to, you know, face them rather than look at those things as uh, negatives. I mean, that they're part of the process, there are difficulties, but, uh, you know, they're there to be addressed openly. On the other hand, I, you know, I've been working with different collectives at different times, for example, of my career, and I also understand that things are cyclic, naturally. So there are moments when certain collaborations end, and they just end. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that's life, you know, yeah. relationships and things come to, to sometimes to a natural end. That's true. You said negotiating egos is an exercise as well. That brings me to the question, what effect does collaborative work have on the diversity of artistic voices and perspectives? I mean, does it lead to a broader representation of art forms or awareness of unequal power structures, for example? Because you also talked about, you know, the element of control. Um, yes. When I mention control, I, I mean, maybe it's not the right word, but it's the word that comes to mind. And I'm talking about very pragmatic aspects, but I do, I do definitely believe that you know there there is an an advantage in terms of thinking about representation of different forms of you know different practices, but also of different artists coming from different backgrounds in different locations. If one may say the fact that, for example. You know, when we look at bigger exhibitions and uh, even even these days when you have a single curator, you tend to have advisors and you, you tend to, to have conversations with people in different locations. I think that that's an effort to kind of understand on a wider, on a wider perspective that it's never universal. We'll never get to that. But what's happening somewhere else? And I think that this the opening up to... Of, of conversations to, to also to other disciplines. Um, on the one hand, reveal very much the this inequalities existing in, in the art sector and the power structures, but can also be a way to, you know, tend us towards a more inclusive future. That's interesting because, you know, that you say in more inclusive future and opening up conversations. Would you say that collaborative and interdisciplinary curation could be considered a response to a changing society that is becoming more aware of its structural problems? I mean, there's a lot of things changing right now. I don't, I don't know if it's a response to the status quo, but it's definitely a method or a possibility for a type of response. 
offer at least addressing these difficulties that we, we all know that we have and uh, understand that they are there. Even if I don't really believe that this is the sole solution for it, or that there is one answer that will get to a you know ideal place because of those practices, but I think that there is a huge contribution in that. When you talk about contribution, what messages do you want to convey or which discourses do you want to initiate and move forward through your work? It really it really varies. I mean, I'm I'm very interested in cities and the articulation between artistic practice and, you know, social life, particularly in the context of contemporary African cities where I've been mainly working from. And so that's a recurrent conversation in my, and a recurrent theme in my work. I'm also very interested in contemporary readings of history and history in the sense, not just of, you know, underrepresented histories, but also as a means to reflect always on the present, but sort of addressing how we came here and how we can move forward. If I were to sort of try to pick like a main umbrella themes and conversations that I I think that come through to my work, I, I would I would look at those two main topics. Although you know the sort of evolving and 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 being developed in in very different ways. Um, I also think of my practice as being very fluid and very permeable, and that has also led me to you know work on different, also on different aspects of, of, of other thematics, but always trying to, you know, bring something new to the conversation or a point of view. But I also approach subjects and exhibitions not as moments to give answers to anything, but as moments to open up fields of inquiry, of inquiry and of conversation. I don't know if that responds to your question, if that was very abstract. <laughs> No, no, but it's interesting because, you know, when you say that, you know, cities and the articulation of cultural life is like current theme, I find that very interesting. You have also participated in, in various biennials, for example, at the Venice Art Biennial in 2013. Back then, together with the Italian architect and curator Stefano Raboli Pansera, you curated the Angolan Pavilion and won the best national participation. It was the first time an African country was awarded with the Golden Lion at the Venice Art Biennial. Before that, it was always countries from the Global North. How did you feel about receiving this award, especially in terms of representing an African country? You know, it was a very surreal moment. I think that 10 years from it, I'm, I'm probably able to better articulate that moment. But we, we weren't thinking about it at all. And I always emphasize that because it really came as a surprise. I mean, the whole project was, again, it was a continuation of a project we had done before at the Architectural Biennial. And obviously there is an interest in work that Stefan and I were doing in terms of, uh, of our research, and which also continues in my research, that has to do also with the geopolitical aspect of contemporary art and understanding how territories you know, shift and engage with each other through cultural practices. So to culminate that project with the Golden Lion kind of was the perfect ending to the story. 
but we were also, I was also very, very young at the time and we weren't really aware at that moment of the impact that that was, that could have. But I'm, I'm very happy that in a way it happened in that way because now obviously I'm able to articulate it it's better and to think how at that particular moment in time it was it was really important for an African country. I mean no African country has received a a golden line after that. I think that that says more about the dynamics of what goes on also in the countries, not just in biennials but but a lot has happened in terms of um increasing also the number of participations and on the way in which countries also approach biennials such as Venice. It also brought a lot of awareness to the contemporary production being made. For example, in Angola, the Portuguese-speaking African countries have, have been, you know, peripheries of a periphery. So that also kind of opened up interest in those in those spaces. But also within here, you know, there was a kind of awareness of a wider awareness of what what had been done, and and the practices that were happening by artists here, and the contemporary discourse. So ultimately, I think that it has an interesting legacy. But yeah, it was something that we, you know, I still think of that moment as extremely surreal. But so because you said it had an impact, so it had this impact abroad in Europe or in Venice, where, uh, but it also had an impact in Angola or in Africa. Yeah, you would say that there's uh, definitely uh, it had these repercussions everywhere. Uh, it did, it did. Mm. But hopefully, like in a good mainly. No, it did in a good way. Yeah, it mm. it really did in a good way. I don't think that here the impact was as widely felt. It's something that I can measure, but I think that you know within the arts community the practitioners and so on. I mean, I think that everybody can say that obviously looking at that and that, that journey. And also it opened up, I mean, Angola had been quite, you know, had the art scene here has had these tops and towns like everywhere else. And we were at the moment where obviously we had artists that are international that were traveling, but there wasn't really apart from those individual artists traveling and, and exhibiting abroad and and talking about whatever was had been done here, uh, there wasn't a wider movement of and a wider interest of, in terms of what was being done here. So definitely that was also an in that brought attention. Yeah. Mm, that's very good. But I mean, you said um, that after 2013, uh, and you after you won the Golden Lion, no other African country won the Golden Lion. And it's interesting that the Venice Biennial is the only biennial holding on to the presentation and competition of national concepts with its national pavilions. Would you say that this concept is out of date? I mean, shouldn't we, shouldn't we be further ahead, especially in the art and thinking in terms of national borders in this globalized world? <laughs> No, so sure. I think that it's totally outdated. Uh, but I also think that everybody understands that this concept is outdated. I can, you know, throughout the exhibitions that I've been seeing in, in, in Venice, where I go to every year, I think that more and more so, and one can also feel that with the pavilions, that, you know, th there is a tendency to to break through and to try and deconstruct this idea of the national 
towards more transnational histories, whether it is in the main exhibition and whether it is in, in specific pavilions. So I think that in a way, there is a, an interesting tension between the fact that, you know, there is a structure that is as rigid as as it is, you know, with this idea of the, the national pavilions and national spaces. But I also believe that the exhibitions have been deconstructing that more and more. On the other hand, there's an aspect that I tend to think, and that's particularly related to the participation of African countries or to countries that are usually not so, you know, have art scenes that are not so developed. And uh, the fact that Venice still has that model allows for, uh, it's it's easier for an African country, for example, to, to reach that stage. Obviously, it's financial, it's a financial operation that is, is uh, it's complex. But the fact that the model kind of still remains also is allowing for, you know, new countries to, to participate, to evolve. Whether all of the participants are at the same stage in terms of thinking of national, of its national representation is is completely it's completely different but i but i find that the interest in venice actually lies within this tension mm. do you think that the the venice biennale or biennales in in general have to become more international interdisciplinary collaborative or maybe and also maybe more decolonial or do you think that's not necessary because uh, like the venice biennial it's already deconstructing the, this and there is this attention that you find interesting. I find that interesting in, in Venice, but I think that if we look a little bit in the overall at the, at, at the biennials or at the big events that are happening uh, in different locations, I think that there is a natural tendency for these big events to become more international, more collaborative, more decolonial. I look at that with the, you know, I have a critical aspect to that. I think that they should be, but I also believe that these things, it, we have to be very careful not to kind of look at the colonial as something that has become like, it's a trend. So let's be more decolonial and less decolonial. But, but I think that, yes, that this is, uh, uh, that's something that I see happening in, 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 in the large exhibitions. I mean, each art biennial is located in a very specific geopolitical framework or, and, or like a, with its local actors and its organizational form, uh, which can affect the exhibition, I guess, quite a lot. Uh, what would you say are the main differences between biennials in Europe, like the Venice Biennial, where you go every year, um, as you said, and biennials in Africa, like the Bamako Biennial, where you also have participated and curated in the past? I think that in the continent, except perhaps The Bamako Biennial and the Dakar Biennial, most of the other biennials are kind of independent, don't have a huge financial structure and they don't have a, a governmental support. The biennials that are done by uh, collectives or by groups of artists that uh, come together and, and understand the need for, for an event at that space. And they kind of serve as points of articulation between a very local art scene um, that often is, is quite self-contained and includes and an international scene. 
So they, you know, they're events that kind of work as catalysts to bring people from outside, to bring other discourses and to, and they sort of have a, an impact in terms of developing the local scenes. And I think that they're very, very, that's one of the main differences between the biennials in the continent and, for example, the, the larger biennials in Europe or in the West, where uh, there is, you know, already a fixed structure attached to it, you know, like the Venice Biennial is almost 200 years and and they serve as sort of experimental platforms for, yes, for advancing dialogue and conversations, but they also feed a little bit out of what's happening in this other smaller biennials outside of Europe. So there is a kind of a, a, a relationship of conversation between these different events, conversation in the sense that at the moment, we can see that what's happening outside of the main centers is fueling and contributing to expand and open up conversations in the main centers. But but they also have very specific needs, I would say. I mean, Dakar and, and Bamako, yes, have the state support, but the, the majority of other biennials in the African continent really don't. The, the totally independent um uh, processes, and I think that those, yeah, those are the main points. Mm -hmm. What role do you think do the participatory and collaborative parts of curating play in the context of international exchange? Since we were just talking about, you know, the as you said, like the local and the international scene that kind of um, come together at biennials. That's actually a difficult question. I don't, I don't know if there is any specific role. Because if I think, for example, of, you know, if we go back to think of the last documenta, when a lot of these ideas and, and methods and modes of operation have been put in place within a context that seemed to be alien to that, and even though it's an event that definitely will, will have a, a lasting impact in the way in which large exhibitions and large events are put together, There was also very uh, a number of problems, sort of that were revealed by this approach. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very skeptical in terms of thinking whether this really has a role within the context of international exchange, or whether it is a moment of, you know, trying to appear that this these things will have a role in terms of changing the the wider uh, conversations and you know, cultural and, and art uh, practices. You curated Eva's digital exhibition, Are You For Real?, with various artists and curators. What meaning does digital technology or the virtual space have when it comes to art and curating? How does it change the way in which art is being curated and also experienced by the audience, do you think? Um, it's a totally different experience. You know, we, we used to go into spaces to see physical objects, um, you know, and, and I think that the material is still in materiality and this personal interaction with with objects is still, it's still part, a very important part of the, you know, experience of art. With Are You For Real, I think that one of the key issues of the, I mean, the project was supposed to be a hybrid platform happening both virtually and physically. But it was launched during the COVID, so it became a fully virtual 
experience. And what I found interesting um, on that project in particular was that we were interested in exploring the virtual as a space rather than thinking about artworks that will be shown virtually. So the digital was not a an interface to showcase works that were made for to be showcased somewhere else in physical space, but we, we really engage with artists to think about how the virtual would become an exhibition space in itself. And and in that sense, to think about works that were purely designed, thought of, produced for that space. And how we could negotiate that space. I mean, other questions are, you know, came from from this uh, other challenges came from this that have to do with uh, with how people would access how apparently democratic the platform could be but it wasn't but at the same time it became a playground also to test uh, to test possibilities to test different types of interaction between public and works to test how works could expand their meanings by being added, la- but having added layers that wouldn't have perhaps if they were just done physically. I'm, I'm giving an example, for example, of a piece that was developed by an artist and it's a poem, but it was a poem that had many layers of interaction. So you could read, you could listen to certain aspects of the poem. Uh, it was visual. So the collaboration between, you know, the artist and the designer of the platform also kind of stretch a little bit the possibilities of what that artwork could be. And it's still a piece that also could exist in physical space. And now simultaneously, there was also this this um, this idea that the platform could work on a computer, but also on a phone. And, you know, most of the works could be experienced by anyone with a, a basic internet uh, connection. So there's like this difference between going to uh, an art space where you have the experience of seeing the object, of experience the space and, uh, you know, being part of it. And then like the possibility of kind of having the museum or the exhibition in your pocket because you're carrying it in your in your smartphone or. Yeah. Okay. so that's kind of so that's a possibility, but also a challenge, no? It it was technically very challenging as well. And I, I feel that it's a project where we're all learning along the way. We're learning vocabulary, we're learning, you know, with every new idea would come also a new challenge. But there was a very playful aspect also in terms of then understanding that what this virtual space is and what possibilities there are. So we had performances that happened in gaming platforms, for example. And so artists were kind of really pushing the boundaries and, you know, testing different possibilities for these works to exist. And I think that that's also a possibility of, of the virtual, is that there's no prescribed element. And, and, but there are so many things available that could be triggers for, for different artistic um, interactions and, uh, and yes, experimentations. So what are you taking away from, from this experience with this digital exhibition? Are you for real? Is there anything, you know, that stands out compared to other exhibitions or that you can take with you for your practice in the, in the future or that you will take with you? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't compare 
I think that the first thing that I learned is obviously that I, I don't conf- I don't compare the experiences. Um, I take it as, you know, it is what it is, and it's also possibility for works to come to life, to exist, and to be experienced in a different reality. And I don't see it as better or worse than doing a physical exhibition. But and so it's another possibility. That's in in a way what I what I've been trying to say. But it's also space that it's kind of endless. It doesn't end there. So you know, it's 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 something to be explored in a deeper way. And and there are artists that are willing to to really stretch those boundaries. Thank you so much, Paula Nascimento. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for being with us and for the interview. Super interesting. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was a good conversation. That leads us to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to recommend Die KulturmittlerInnen to others. If you want to learn more about the art of curating, I would like to recommend episode 19 of Die KulturmittlerInnen, where we talked with the art historian Annette Tietenberg. This episode and all the other episodes of Die KulturmittlerInnen are available on all coming streaming platforms like Spotify, Amazon Music and Apple Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at podcast at ifa.de. For more information on our organization, IFA Institut für Auslandsbeziehungen, visit ifa.de. With that, I say goodbye. My name is Amira El Al. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.